Well, it's good to be back with you. I uh, missed being with you last Sunday as we uh, I was away at a trade show. I, I do have to work on occasion, and so I had to go uh, go do that uh, this past week. It's a, it was kind of strange because it was a uh, the first time we've had a national trade show in my in my industry in over a year and a half. So it was uh, good to be back and see a lot of people that I hadn't seen in forever, but also uh, you know to to see how um, things have changed in the last year and a half was pretty strange as well. But I'm glad that Tyler was able to meet with you and, and, and bring God's word to you. I heard uh, that he was, y'all were very supportive of him. And, and in fact, he had to text me as soon as he left Sunday night to say, you have a very loving church. So it was a good compliment from somebody who's never been here before to say that uh, you were good and kind to him. And I appreciate you doing that. So today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as we look at uh, worshiping through giving today. And, and uh, before you leave, knowing that I'm preaching on giving, just give me a chance to explain it. And uh, don't just jump up and leave because I'm talking about giving today. But we're going to look at a very famous passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as we seek to understand how we can worship through money, through giving of our tithes and offerings to the Lord. So um, as you are turning there, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you today asking that you would open the truth of your word to us. Lord, we do not come to hear uh, Nathan Skipper speak. We come to hear your, your word speak to us. We come to hear from you. And so, Father, I pray that you would work through your word and through the Holy Spirit to reprove us and correct us and direct us in the way that we should go. And that we might leave this place changed. Lord, I pray that even through preaching about giving, that if there is anyone here who is not trusted in you, that they would see that a life that is devoted to money apart from Christ is a useless and meaningless life. But that if they would turn to Christ in faith, they will have true meaning, even with respect to their money. Lord, I pray that if we are here and we have been um, holding on to our, our, our wealth, holding on to the things of this world and putting them before you, that even if we are believers, we can do that. And we, I pray that we would be willing to uh, put you first and to not allow our money to be our master. Father, I pray that you would bless us now and give us uh, understanding as we study. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So when I was in middle school, I had a pretty rough go of it. Uh, I know middle school is difficult for anybody. Uh, junior high and all that is an awkward stage in life anyway. But it uh, was particularly awkward for me. For one, I was just a nerdy kid. I was a little wiry thing. And I had braces and headgear at the time. Not headgear that I had to wear at night. Headgear that I had to wear to school during the day. And uh, one of the things that made it particularly difficult is I had a classmate who um, loved all the brand name stuff. And he would come to school with all of these brand name clothing and shoes and all of the things that you were supposed to have at the time, all the latest uh, wares. And, and not only did he come to school with that, those things, but I didn't have those things. My parents, uh, not for lack of money particularly, but they just did not believe in buying name brand clothing. And, and, uh, and so this particular classmate would come to school every day and he would make sure that I knew that I did not have the latest things. In fact, he kind of attached to me 
uh, for the sake of making fun of me. He kind of saw, saw, hey, I, I can use this guy to better uh, make myself feel better and I can kind of bully him to, to, to gain that recognition. And so um, I was I was uh, I had a pretty rough go of it going through all of that. And one day on our quarterly trip, uh, quarterly day-long trip to Gaffers. Did anybody else do that? My mom would torture us every quarter by taking us to Gaffers up in Montgomery at the Montgomery Mall and making us uh, try on shoes and clothes and all that. Well, one day my mom gave in to my, uh, my desires to fit in and all of that, and she let me buy some pump tennis shoes. Now, uh, the week before we went on this trip, this classmate had come to school wearing Reebok pumps. And I don't know if you remember those shoes, but they were uh, they were just the coolest thing or so we thought because uh, they had a, a basketball bulb, a pump on the tongue. And if you were really a baller, if you were ready to really get serious about, about basketball, then you could reach down and you could pump up your shoes and it would pump up your tongue and the, and the top of your shoe so that you could really play some ball. And uh, all the fifth graders and sixth graders that were, were really good at basketball, they all had them. And so I, I wanted those things so bad because this classmate had them and everybody at school had them. So my mom relented and she let me buy some punk tennis shoes. And I was so proud. I came to school the next Monday and I was ready to show them off. And, and I walk into break and I'm expecting this classmate to finally have to give in and to say that I fit in. But instead, he just died laughing. And when I finally got out of, when he finally calmed down and he admitted what was wrong with what I was wearing, he said, those aren't Reebok tennis shoes. Those are off-brand tennis shoes. And he made sure that everybody in the, in the break room knew that I had purchased off-brand pump tennis shoes. Now, Though that was pretty painful, and I'm sure that all of y'all have been through similar things where you're, you've been made fun of for not wearing the right things or not having the right items of clothing or whatever it might be, my embarrassment taught me an important lesson. It taught me that things and the money that buys them cannot bring you lasting happiness. I thought that my happiness would be summed up in Reebok pump tennis shoes. And even that couldn't bring me happiness because it wasn't enough for that classmate. How many times have you been told in your life, money can't buy you happiness? And yet the world wholeheartedly believes that it can. We live for money. We live day in and day out for more of it. And we live by default by the philosophy that we should get all we can, can all we get, and sit on the can. We live for more. How many times have you heard stories of of a wealthy celebrity who was in the pit of depression despite his vast wealth, and yet we think it can't happen to us? We we tend to think, like one person who uh, once told me, People tell me all the time that money can't buy happiness, but I'd sure like to try it for myself. We tend to think that we want to give it a go for ourselves, even though the world, even though the world proves that money can't buy happiness, we think it'll be different for us. 
Like anything else in our lives, money is not a neutral object. It has an effect on us. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In, in, in a, ba- a very basic level, our wealth demands our worship. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Because of the independence that you gain through money and the pleasure that you can gain through money, it, it um, can have this effect of making us willing to give up the eternal for the sake of one more dollar. We're willing to sacrifice our time with the Lord. We're willing to sacrifice the discipline of our children. We're willing to sacrifice our our support of the mission of God, all for the sake of making one more dollar. And the more of it we have, the more it calls us away from our worship and dependence on God. This problem of money is ultimately, as Jesus says, a question of who our master really is. This problem is ultimately a problem of worship. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is met by this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus to ask how he can inherit the kingdom of God. And Jesus says that he ought to sell everything that he owns, give it to the poor, and come and follow him. And in verse 22, it says that the young man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, the measure of whether you are mastered by money or not is how freely you give it away. The question is, do you worship with money or do you worship your money? Do you see your money as an opportunity to bring glory to God and to, and to further His kingdom? Do you see it as a blessing that God has given you that you might use for Him, therefore worshiping with your money? Or do you see your money as the object of your worship? Do you devote the whole of your life to gaining more of it? Or do you devote the whole of your life to blessing others and blessing God with it. So this morning, I want to understand a little better how we can worship with our money by studying 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. So let's read that passage together as we begin our time of study today. Chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 6, it says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. 
He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So this morning, I want you to see two points from this passage that we've just read. I want you to see the love for giving. And secondly, I want you to see the law of giving. So to start with, let's consider the love of Forgiving. And we find that in verse 7 of our passage. It's the famous passage that we always hear that God loves a cheerful giver. But in this section, just to give you a little context, in this section, Paul is writing to the Corinthians to ask them if they will give to a collection that he is gathering up for the Christians in Jerusalem. They, the Christians in Jerusalem were under a, a difficult famine at the time, and so Paul has gone around to all of the other churches and is asking them to give to help their brothers in Christ. And here he calls the Corinthians to show their love for God and their love for their brothers in Christ by giving of their money to support this collection. Now, there are two aspects of giving that I want you to notice in this one verse. First of all, giving delights God as an act of worship. Giving in the Bible is always reflected as an act of worship in response to God. And it is a gift that brings God glory and brings him delight. So throughout the Bible, we find that giving is a simple and tangible act of worship that reveals faith, uh, the faith of the giver. So in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham has had this great victory over the five armies of the river basin, and he is coming back with all of this wealth from that victory, and he meets a priest and a king named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek prepares this meal for him and blesses Abraham, and as a result... Abraham responds to that blessing of God through Melchizedek by offering a tenth or a tithe to Melchizedek as the priest of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 6, God commands that tithes be brought to the tabernacle as a regular practice of congregational worship. It's one of the reasons I said, hey, I told the deacons not too long ago that we need to start passing the plate again because it was going to be really awkward when we came to to this sermon in in the in the series that I'm on and we're not passing the plate as a part of worship but but that's why we do this as part of worship why we have offerings centered in the middle of the worship services is an act of worship and it follows with the pattern of the old testament and then in mark chapter 12 verse 42 
Jesus. You remember the story of he's in the synagogue and there's a woman that comes up and she's a a poor old widow. But she comes up and she offers two copper coins, which was the smallest, much like our penny, the smallest amount of money that someone could offer. But Jesus extols her for the fact that she had given more than anybody else in the synagogue because she had given all she had. And it reflected her dependence on God. The second thing about giving that I want you to see from this one verse is that giving is a cheerful decision to worship. Notice that Paul calls the Corinthians to give out of a right motivation. And he states that motivation both both negatively and positively. Notice he says that we are not to give under compulsion. So giving is a voluntary act. It is not a tax. Uh, so y'all can relax. I'm not, t- not going to stand back there at the back with a collection plate and demand that you give at the end of the service today. It is not a tax on your relationship with God to give, but rather it is a voluntary offering that is a reflection of your delight in the Lord. And along with that voluntary nature of given, giving, it's important to note how much we're to give, or, or it's important to note that we're to give, the amount that we're to give is to be a decision of our heart. What we give ought to be motivated by the delight that we find in the Lord and our dedication to Him, and it is a decision that we make for ourselves as we give. Now, there's no small amount of of uh, time that has been wasted by preachers and theologians on how much we should give. And uh, if you ask a thousand preachers how much a Christian should give, you'll get a thousand different opinions of what a tithe is and how much we should give. But a lot of that is based on the Old Testament law of tithing. And I think that it still serves, the Old Testament law of tithing still serves as a good guideline for how much we should give. So let me just make a few comments about the amount that we should give. First of all, the tithe that we know of in the Old Testament was just like what Paul has said here. It was a voluntary act. Just as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the Israelites were called to give as they felt led to give. Second, the tithe was to be given from your increase. So just to give you an example from the Old Testament, because the Old Testament didn't deal with money, it dealt with things. If you were a goat herder and you had 10 nanny goats and those 10 nanny goats each had a kid, then out of those 10 kids that you had, you would give one to the Lord. But if one year you had 10 nanny goats and two of them died in childbirth or kid birth, and the other eight didn't have any uh, kids, how much would you give to the Lord? Zero. You would give out of your increase, not out of a burden, or not to give as a burden to your own uh, health and prosperity. So in the same way, if you are living quite literally hand to mouth with no profit, you are not obligated to give anything. Now, let me just say as a caveat, 
If you can afford a four-wheeler and, and, a, and a boat and, and, and all that other stuff, you're not living hand-to-mouth, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But if you really are impoverished and you, can't ha- you don't have any extra money to give, then you're not obligated to give. As, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, that you should give out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. So Paul doesn't wish for this giving to be a burden. And finally, tithing in the Old Testament is more than just the 10% offering that we tend to think of. Actually, there were three different tithes that the Israelites were called to give, and it ended up equaling about 18% of their increase. And so for those, uh, you know, you might be relieved to hear that you should give out of your increase and that you don't have to give if you're not... Uh, not able and that you should give as you feel led. And so you're thinking, whoa, I can handle that 10%. Well, know that if you're giving just because you're, uh, you feel obligated to give the 10%, actually in Israel, the, the tithe was usually about 18%. And so the calling is not to give a particular amount or to give out of rote repetition and and obligation, the calling is to give as you feel led because of your delight that you have in God and your desire to honor Him. So Paul, that brings me to the point that uh, the next next way that Paul states this same idea, he states it positively by saying, God loves a cheerful giver. So the Greek word there for cheerful is the word cheerful. Hilarious, which you probably get the idea, makes the basis for our word hilarious. And so the idea of what Paul is saying here is that we should joyfully give to the Lord. If, if you want to imagine this, we should laugh as we give to the Lord. We should be glad to do it. And why shouldn't we joyfully give? I mean, after all, the Lord has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has chosen us by His good grace. He has redeemed us through the sacrifice and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus. He has adopted us into His family. He has sealed us by the presence of His Holy Spirit. Not only that, but He has given us the blessings of our daily bread. He has given us joy and love and the bonds of family and friends and relationships. He has given us so much more than all of that. Why would we not want to give back to the Lord just a small portion of what He has already given to us? Because of our delight in the Lord, we ought to joyfully, laughingly, gladly give back to Him. The second aspect of giving that I want you to see from this passage is the law of giving. Notice back in verse 6 and then again in verses 8 through 15, Paul lays out this this principle of giving that is found throughout the the Bible. And in verse 6, he establishes this principle of reaping and sowing. Now, that's that's a farming analogy. You know, when you sow, uh, when you sow a crop, you come back in their day and you literally with a scythe, you, you reaped what you sowed. And if you sowed sparingly, if you didn't put out a whole lot of wheat seed, then you, would, you could expect to reap sparingly. And if you sowed bountifully, you could expect to reap bountifully. 
But before I get into this principle of reaping and sowing, I want to give a little bit of a warning. And there's a whole host of charlatans, particularly on Christian TV, who use this verse to say that, uh, that, to ask that you support their ministry so that you can get a blessing or a healing from God. Now, in doing so, they're using God's word for their own gain. And they are liars from the pit of hell. Remember, the focus of Paul's exhortation is not on what you can get from giving. The focus is on your love for God and your love for your brother in Christ. The focus is not on giving to God so that it obligates him to to give something back to you. Okay, understand that first. The other thing I'll say just as a side note is that when you give, you should really consider only giving to if you're giving as a worship act of worship to the Lord, you should consider only giving to your local church or the ministries that that church supports. And the reason I say that is we give and we just did it last last Sunday night. We we have a discipline of government here within our church where it's not just up to me. It's not up to me at all, actually, how we spend our money. It's up to all of us. And we review that quarterly as to how we're spending our money. We make a pretty big deal about it. In fact, there's a packet back there in the back that tells you exactly how we're spending our money. When you send your money off to some TV preacher in in Nashville or wherever he is, you have no say in how that money is spent. You have there is no oversight of that preacher outside of whatever little ministry he has set up. And so you should give to support ministries that you know have oversight and particularly those that you are a part of, not just anybody that tugs at your heartstrings. So with all that said, this principle of reaping and sowing sets forth spiritual and physical benefits that come from cheerful giving. In effect, what Paul is saying is that the one who stingily gives or doesn't give at all to the cause of Christ will miss out on the blessings that come through cheerful giving. But the one who gives generously and gladly to the cause of Christ will, can expect the blessings of God can experience the bounty of God's blessings through that giving. And there are three ways that God blesses through giving. First, in verses 8 through 11, he says that the giver is blessed because God will supply his needs as he is faithful to give. Now, I've given faithfully pretty much all of my adult life. I've given to Uh, missions through the church. I've given to the church directly through my tithes and offerings. And I can say that I have never, there has never been a time in all of my life that in all of my adult life where I have ever missed a dime of the money that I have given to the Lord. God has always been faithful to meet my needs as I have been faithful to give to him. And that's what Paul means here. 
When you are faithful to give, you get to see God bless you and get and supply your needs. You get to say, God, this is not all that I that uh, my life is not defined by my money. It is not all that my life is about. And so I give a portion of it to you and I trust you to do well with it. And I trust you to supply my needs without it. It is an evidence of your faith and your trust in God. And when you do that. God is always faithful to meet your needs. It's like I've said about prayer and evangelism and other things. If you don't do it, you miss out on the blessing of seeing God act in those things. If you don't evangelize, you never get to see God work to change someone's heart. If you don't pray, you never get to see God answer prayers. If you don't give, you never get to see God meet your needs through that giving. If you're stingy and unwilling to give of your increase, you will never get to see the way God provides for you. But if you will let it go and give, you will find that God is always faithful. Second, in verses 11 and 12, we find that that giving blesses those who receive it and causes them to praise God. When you give to the church, you bless others which in turn calls them to praise God. Your giving to this church allows so many things. It provides for so many things. It provides for us to keep up this sanctuary. It provides air conditioning. Praise God. Um, it It provides for the care of people when they lose a loved one or when they are in need. It provides for missions that sends missionaries around this world to places like Afghanistan and Haiti and hard places throughout this world. It provides for so many things and all of that enables and extends worship as people give thanks to God through your giving. Third and lastly, In verse 13, Paul says that giving is a confession of faith that brings glory to God. When you give, you are saying that God is more important than your wealth. You are confessing that your only master is the Lord Jesus Christ and that you will not be ruled by your money. So brothers and sisters, we are called to give cheerfully. And generously, because God in Christ has given so richly to us. When we give, we are in a very practical and tangible way expressing an act of worship to God that proves that we are dependent on Him. May we give with a cheerful heart because we love Him and we want to see His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Friend, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, one of the things that the world will call you to do instead of worshiping God is to worship money. And I want you to understand today that that is a bankrupt system. And I don't use that term lightly. That is a bankrupt system that can only lead to despair and depression and to a lack of hope. Money may in the short term bring you happiness. It may bring you some uh, uh, transactional relationship. It may gather friends around you for a, a, a brief time, but it cannot give you eternal life. Only faith in Jesus Christ 
and love for Him can bring you the true joy that you seek. There is no amount of money that can buy your way out of hell. It is only through Jesus Christ that you have deliverance. Won't you trust in Him today for your salvation as we spend this moment in response to Him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and for all of the blessings that You have given us through Him. Lord, I pray that we would not treat money as a God unto itself, but rather as a tool for the furthering of your kingdom and for bringing glory to you through uh, by our giving it away. Father, I pray that we would be faithful to give, not because we feel obligated or not because we think that uh, it's a tax on our wealth, but rather because we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it, in he- as it is in heaven. We want to see your glory known throughout this world. Father, bless us now as we continue to respond in faith. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.